We've been making our way through Matthew uh, for a little while here. I've never preached in 30-something years of, of passion. I've never preached through the book of Matthew. And, uh, and I'm, I'm having a, a ball. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I pray that God is speaking to you from his word as we make our way through there. We're in the 17th chapter, and we're in this transition. We're here in the 17th chapter where, uh, where Jesus uh, begins from that time that he, he transitions to, uh, actually it's the 16th chapter, verse 21, where Jesus transitioned from his public ministry of miracles and, and, uh, and uh, teaching to folk turning his focus the last few uh, weeks of his life, there and months of his life, to his disciples and preparing them for his death and for his sufferings, for his crucifixion, and then for his resurrection, then for his leaving them uh, with, the, with the message to take to the rest of the world, with the gospel. And so now he, he's transitioned away from that. We looked at last week at, at uh, called it on the mountaintop with Jesus, where Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. And they went up to the mountain. Uh, and there on the mountain, uh, Jesus was transfigured before them. He, he literally, his, his, he became, he just shone with the glory of God. And uh, there on the mountain, these uh, disciples witnessed Moses and Elijah. They're speaking with Jesus and they were talking with Jesus about his, his, his death and his resurrection and what was going to take place. And the, the disciples were just, um, they, they, they were in awe. As a matter of fact, they said, we'll just, we'll just make booths and stay here with you three guys. And all of a sudden, uh, a, sh- a cloud comes down. And the voice of God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him, listen to him, listen to what he's got to say. And when the, when the disciples lifted up their eyes and looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. Moses and Elijah are great representing the law and the prophets, but they're not equal with Christ. And God said, hey, it's great. You need to be here to witness that in Christ is the completion, is the fulfillment of all the law and of all the prophets. Because in him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells. Listen to him. And I love this, the verse last week. It says, so when the disciples lifted up their eyes and they looked, they saw no man but Jesus only. You remember that? And then as they were coming off the mountain, Jesus looks over to Peter, James, and John, and he says, now don't tell anybody about what you've experienced on the mountain until after my resurrection. Wow. Wow. Those mountaintop experiences, they, they saw, they beheld the majesty, man, the glory, heard the voice of God speak on the mountaintop with Jesus. And I'm convinced that those mountaintop experiences that we have in our lives, when, when we see God as, as Jerry was sharing, it's the same God. That's what, that's what Jerry wanted Grayson to know. That's what God wants each one of us to know. God doesn't change. That's what we sang about it. It's the same God. Hebrews says yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. And those mountaintops experience where we behold his glory and his majesty. I believe that God wants at least two things in my life as I look back. Is he wants those mountaintop experiences to be an encouragement to us in our faith. That's, I think he wanted them to be an encouragement to Peter, James, and John. Remember Jesus had said, who do people say I am? And Peter, they told him this and that. And Peter said, well, you're the son of God. And, and uh, Jesus said, that's right, Peter. No, the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but God. Then just a few minutes later, Peter's not understanding about Jesus dying. And so Jesus takes them up to the mountaintop. They behold his glory. 
And there in his glory, he wants to encourage Peter. Peter, you're exactly right. That's who I am. But as you've heard Moses and Elijah talk about my death and my sufferings and the resurrection, what that's going to accomplish. So he wants those to encourage us. And I believe he wants those mountaintop experiences to equip us, to prepare us for what waits us in the valleys. So we, here in this 17th chapter, we, we, we pick up with them coming off the mountain. And it's the same way, I believe, here on Sunday morning, we were talking about this earlier, that what we experience today as a choir sang, as, as Paul, as the elders and the leadership of the church prayed for Linda, Jerry testified, and for, for Grayson, that what we experience, what we see, and what we hear on Sunday morning, we need to be able to transfer or incorporate that into our lives on, in, on, for what is awaiting us Monday through Saturday. The, the truths that we learn in Sunday school, Jeff was talking about vacation Bible school starts tomorrow afternoon. The truths that, those, the truths that we learn in vacation Bible school, in Bible camp, in the Bible studies, men starting a men's Bible study this Thursday morning. And we always talk about that we, we study together to look at God's word and not so that we will know more, but so that God's word coming into our minds and into our hearts would change us and make us more and more like the men or the people that God want us to be, wants us to be. The messages that we hear on Sunday morning, it's not for us to come to church on Sunday morning and do church. It's far more than that. But if we aren't careful, we kind of get in the habit. And that's what, well, it's what we do. We're Christians. We go do church on Sunday morning. No, we come together and we come together so that as we leave that the truths of God's word, what is experienced corporately in a body of Christ, all make an influence and an impact on who we are and on our everyday life. If they don't do that, what good are they? I'm serious. What good are they? I found that God's word is one of the most effective change elements there is. God's word in our, in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives changes, changes our attitude. With me, it changed my attitude. It changed our lifestyle. Bob Ayers would say it would change our way of walking and talking. It's uh, God's word deep in our heart does a tremendous work. And that's as we come down to Matthew 17 this morning, uh, picking up with verse 14, uh, that's what awaits them as they come off the mountain. Uh, it says, when they were come to the multitude, I, if you want to do something with me, we're going to come back to Matthew right here, but there is a parallel passage of this same incident that Mark records in Mark chapter 9. And Mark, Mark uh, puts a little more meat on the bones of what actually, of what happens and some things that Mark shares that I think we need to know. So if it, I want you to read this with me from Mark, and then we're going to come back to Matthew 17. But it's the same, it's the same incident, and this is what the Holy Spirit's sharing with, with Mark. It says, and when Jesus came to his disciples, he saw a, a great multitude about him, and the scribes were questioning his disciples. And straightway all the people, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed and running to him, they greeted him. And Jesus asked the scribes, what question are you with him? What are you asking? What, what's going on? What are you asking the disciples? And one of the multitude answered Jesus and said, Master, I brought unto you my son, which has a dumb spirit. 
And wheresoever he takes him, he tears him, and he foams and he gnashes with his teeth, he pineth away. And I asked your disciples that they would cast this demon out, and they couldn't. And then Jesus answers and says, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him to me, bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus, and when the boy saw Jesus, straightway the evil spirit tore him, and the boy fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And Jesus asked his daddy, how long has he been like this? And his daddy said, since he was a little boy. So uh, the, the, he's not a little child now. I don't know, he could be a teenager up in years. But he says, this, he's been tormented like this now for a few years. And the daddy said a lot of times it, it cast him into the fire and into the waters to try to kill him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to those who believe. One of my favorite verses is in all of Scripture. You've heard me say this many times. And straightway the father of child. By that way, one of the other gospels tells us that this was his, not only his son, but it was, this was his only child. And it says, and straightway the father of the child crying, cried out with tears, cries out, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying to him, Thou deaf and dumb spirit, I charge thee, come out of the little boy and don't enter him anymore. And the spirit cries and tears the little boy and comes out of him. And the little boy is laying on the ground, lifeless, they think. He says he's, the little boy is laying on the ground as one dead, insomuch that a lot of people said he's, he, it's killed him. He's dead. Then Jesus reached down and takes the little boy by the hand and lifts him up. Later in the house, the disciples would ask Jesus privately when it's just them, they'd away from the crowds. And the disciples would say, ask Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said to him, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. All right, go with me back to Matthew 17. There on the mountain, they've, uh, Peter and James and John have behold the majesty and the glory of of Christ as he as the prophets and the law Moses and Elijah and God spoke as they come off the mountain now in the valley they're getting ready to experience again the power of Christ and to see his power on display as they come down the mountain what they find they find a crowd there gathered around the disciples that, that were waiting at the foot of the mountain and there's three things I want you to look at as they come off the mountain, this mountaintop experience where they've beheld his glory, where it's been awesome, where they've heard God speak and where Jesus said, don't tell anybody about this now until after I'm raised. And they come down and here are the rest of the disciples. And first of all, there's an unmet need. There's an unmet need. Did you, did you, did you see this when um, in verse uh, 14 and uh, verse 15 and 16, verse 16 the man said, this was a need. He said, this is a need. This is my son. He's been like this. No doubt they had, had, they had tried everything in the world. No doubt they had, they had been to all the physicians they could go to. There's nothing wrong with that. There's everything great with that. They had went, but they had tried everything that anybody, any suggestion they had. But now this father has heard of the, of, of the healing and of the teaching of the, of the power of this young 
carpenter, rabbi, a teacher. And so he's brought him to, to Jesus. But Jesus is up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And so the man, the father has, has asked the other disciples, please do something. Help my son. But there's an unmet need because the disciples couldn't meet the need. Now, it's interesting because earlier, if you remember, as we were going through Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus is getting ready to send the same disciples, and he's sending them out on some uh, mission trips. Uh, and by the way, uh, I'm looking, Shirley's, is it your niece? Her granddaughter is in Haiti on a medical mission trip. You be praying for her. But he, he sent them out. But before he sent them out in Matthew 10, 1, look what Jesus did. Jesus said, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. He had given them this power and they had went out and no doubt they had prayed and they had seen God answer and do a lot of miracles. They had seen him heal the sick. They had seen him do miraculous things and dealing with infirmities. And no doubt they had seen unclean spirits or demonic spirits have to obey them when they cast them out or told them to, to leave someone or go and, and leave them alone. And they had seen all this. But now, now, this is a young man who's tor been tormented. And they've prayed and nothing's happened. There's an unmet need. But there's good news. Because now, Jesus is on the scene. And let me just say to you this morning that Jesus is the master of unmet needs. <laughs> Jesus is the master of unmet needs. So I say to you this morning, if there are situations in your life, if there are circumstances in your life, which you have, which you have almost exhausted asking for help for and, and needing something to take place in and nothing's ever happened. Let me just say to you this morning that your hope is in Jesus Christ. Is there anything that's too hard for Jesus to do? Well, I got a couple there, no one or nothing. Is there anything, is there anything that is too hard or impossible for Jesus to do? No. I like that, no. We need to, sometimes we need to be reassured of that. When the angel was speaking to a young girl named Mary, remember this? And he was telling Mary, Mary, God has, has picked you out. He's chosen you. And he wants you to give birth to the Messiah. And it's going to be a miraculous conception, Mary, because no, you've not had sexual relationships with, a, with your husband. This is going to be God's child. Never happened like this before. Never heard anything like that. And so the angel says to Mary, there in Luke, he says, for with God... Nothing shall be impossible, right? And he wanted her to know that, and she needed to know that, and she experienced that. Now, we hear that, we say that in our lives. We see how God's worked. We, we hear people's testimony. Since 1952, that God, God touched him, he touched his lungs, he not only sent the tuberculosis away, but there's no scarring left. Now, medical, uh, medical science is great, but they can't explain that, because that's God's doing. I remember years ago, we are talking about this, this uh, just maybe Friday with John. Barbie and I were talking with, with Spalding. We had a great time. And we got him prepared, honey. We, we did some marriage counseling there for the first year of marriage there. 
But we were talking about uh, when I was in school at, at North Georgia and, and the head of the psychology department, Dr. Cecil Jackson, and we had, uh, we'd, we'd talked and got, uh, God had given me favor, had friendship with him, and uh, told him he was working in Bible camp, and we had a, a guest speaker that was coming to talk with their teenagers that one night at camp, and he was a man that had been heavily into heroin and cocaine addiction, and he had, and he had hit rock bottom, but he'd been in this lifestyle for years, and yet God had healed him. And so he had been sharing, he had been going around sharing his testimony for two years. And, um, and Dr. Jackson said, that's impossible. You can't, once you've been that addicted, there's no way that you can get clean. It's, uh, it's just impossible. I don't, I don't believe it. And I said, come and see him. Come and listen to him. And he did. He came to camp. He came that night to camp and he sat and he listened. He, he went up and talked to the young man afterwards. And later on he would say, I can't explain it. Those things that are unexplainable, those things that, those needs that are unmet, those situations, I want to tell you, we look around us and we see how God has worked. We see lives change. We see families change. We see situations change. We see broken relationships healed. We see torn uh, uh, churches put back together. We see God doing all this and we know he can and he's asking us, do you believe I can? And we say, oh, yeah. And sometimes it's like the guy that's crossing Niagara Falls, right? And he pushed a wheelbarrow across, and everybody cheered and, and, uh, and hollered, and they clapped. And uh, he said, now, who, who, who believes I can push somebody across in, the wheel, in this uh, wheelbarrow? And they, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, who will hop in it? You know, I'm, and I'm, I'm like, one. Well, you can do it, big boy. Get in there, Barb. <laughs> you know? But there are unmet needs all around, I'm sorry, honey, I should have said Zach. I'm sorry. I meant, I meant to say, I, I go home with you, sweetheart. Zach, get in there, Zach. But there are these unmet needs around us, and so they're confronted with this. But note that there is nothing that our God can't do. But with the unmet needs, secondly, there, there is an unanswered question. And that unanswered question is in verse 19 there of Matthew 17. In verse 19, the disciples, and they had prayed. They had done what they had done before. That they, and they had seen God work before. But the question was, Lord, why can't we do this? What's different this time? And I imagine the question was, why? Lord, why couldn't, why couldn't, we, why couldn't we do anything to meet this need of this young boy and this father? Why? The disciples had a an unanswered question, and Jesus gives them what I call an unexpected answer or unexpected response. Verse 20 and 21. The disciples are, are they're exposed spiritually. They're, they're like, Vereen had a great picture of this this morning. It's like going into battle with no armor on, nothing on, and they're exposed. They were exposed spiritually. And Jesus, in verse 20, answered the disciples and said, first of all, he said, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you shall have faith as a grain of mustard seed, and you say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Jesus said, guys, there, there's a lack of faith. Now that's interesting to me. Because again, they had seen, they, at, 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 as, they had, as they had prayed, they had seen God work. They knew he could. 
And I love it. I, I love why, that's why I love the response when Jesus looks at this daddy and he says, all things are possible if you can just believe. And this daddy said, with tears streaming down his face. Now, listen to this. With tears, he, and his only child that's been like this, this is his only hope. He's watching his only child, his son, be tormented to the point of, of, of being killed. And he feels helpless, and he is. And he's taking them to those that he thought could help, and they haven't. And Jesus says, all things are possible if you can believe. And he cries out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Boy, I can relate to that statement. I know God can do anything. I believe that. I've seen him do miraculous things. You've seen him. We've experienced miracles. Small Wednesday night. Jerry tells about it. It's a Sunday night. A couple of people come and prayed with him. Small Wednesday night. Uh, oh, no more than 12 people. Prayer meeting's over. And uh, Dorothy Helton says to my dad, and my dad was, was literally dying with an incurable kidney disease. They told him there were less than 10 diagnosed cases like that in the United States, and there was nothing they could do for it. Kidneys were eating themselves from the inside out. He was trying to drive a truck, but had, had gotten where he couldn't work a lot of days. The medicine was more than his wages every week. And Dorothy says to, to Daddy, Clarence, I just believe if you, we need to pray for you. I believe God can do something. That was a Wednesday night. We gather around. I'm just a young boy. I remember that prayer service. Gather around. They prayed for him. It was that the visible world didn't see any change. There wasn't the, the building didn't shake. There wasn't there wasn't thunder. There wasn't lightning. But I want to tell you, there was something that happened in the spiritual world. So Dad goes back to the doctor Thursday, the next day, and he goes to the doctor. And the doctor comes back out and says, Mr. Helton, can you think you can give me another urine specimen? And dad said, well, I'll try. He gives him another. And he calls him in and he said, Mr. Helton, he said, uh, do you want to tell me what's happened? This was Dr. Tanner, Young Harris, Young Harris College Clinic. Do you want to tell me what's happened? And dad looked at him and said, well, what do you mean? He said, there is no trace of this disease that was destroying you. Something's happened. And daddy said, all I know to tell you is last night prayer meeting, they prayed for me. He said, Mr. Helton, Clarence, he said, Mr. Helton, God has healed you completely. He never had a problem with his kidneys the rest of his life. You see, that's the God. So I said, we see God work. We see him work in your lives and, and the testimonies of people around us. We know he can. But a lot of times when it comes right down, but what about my situation? What about my parents or what about my child or what about this situation here I just want to tell you there is no one that has done so much that has gone so far I, I, I rejoice I look back this morning I just rejoice I sit back I see my family and, and, and our church family you know what God's done in, in Paige's life and in Zach's life and our, our family and I look back and I see, see Zach and I almost just, just go crazy back there uh, not because I see Zach but I got to tell you something that's funny now. Listen, listen, listen to me. <laughs> listen. Um, verse 15 of John 17, 15. Now, this is just a sidebar, okay? Don't get, don't get bent out of shape. With, stay with me here. I'm putting it in context. Someone said this was his father's favorite verse. And he, and he started quoting Matthew 17, 14. It's, 
uh, 15, it says, Lord, have mercy on my son for he's lunatic. Uh, no, that, that was not it. But, but, I, but I look back and I, and I see God's hand in, in, in delivering my son and bringing Zach and, and restoring his marriage and restoring who he is. But I'm telling you this because I remember sitting, and he'll probably remember this. I remember sitting one day, on the, he was sitting on the steps of the house, of the front porch. And it was a hard time. It was a hard time for him. And I remember with tears in his eyes, and I mean, everything, everybody could do it with tears in his eyes. And he said, Dad, he said, I've done too much. And he said, I'll never have that peace. I don't think it'll ever happen. Janice could stand up and tell you that she, in jail, she said, Zach, how can I pray for you? Janice, stand up and what did he say to you? He said, pray that I'll have peace. I want to tell you, God can do the impossible because my son has peace with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this. We see this. And yet sometimes, like the father, we say, Lord, I believe now. Help, I'll help that part. I'm going to believe in everything that I can. I know that's who you are now. I'll trust you with the rest. There was this unmet need. There was this unanswered questions. And then there was this unexpected response. You need your faith, guys. You're lacking a little bit in your faith. Oh, my goodness. It's not too hard. There's nothing too hard. Sometimes we think, I had somebody tell me this week, say, Jerry, look at this. And they begin to share a situation and said, you tell people that, is, that the never quit praying for others because they can't get so far that God can't bring them back to him. And then he tells his disciples, and I got to go quick. I got a funeral. I got to be at the funeral home at one o'clock. So, um, <laughs> I, I know. So, uh, he tells them, he's, not only that, he said, your, your faith's lacking. But then notice what he says down here in verse 21. And he says, and, and by the way, guys, this kind, this, there are situations. When he says this kind, I believe that there are, there are spiritual battles. There are spiritual problems that require seeing with spiritual eyes and spiritual discernment. Jim uh, grew up in Africa and he and uh, Denise served their, their, their hearts are there. They, we got their bodies and, and part of their heart here, but their hearts are still with the orphans and the people that they, that they were with in Africa. And I'm sure you, you've seen this. There's oftentimes, there was the battles and the struggle and they were wondering what's going on. But you understood that the struggles was within the spiritual realm. And, and, and to fight those kind of battles, Ephesians says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, man. But our, our battles are in, are in the spiritual realm. And, and with that come these two things. He said, guys, you need to be praying more. Someone said, I wish I could know who to attribute to. Someone said, no prayer, no power. Much prayer, much power. It's so true. It's so true. I, I, I hesitate to tell you this because I know how you are. I love you. You're, you're, my, you're my family. In Acts, in Acts, the disciples, there, Jesus now has, has gone. He said, wait, Terry, pray for, wait till the power comes, the Holy Spirit comes. And so for 10 days, these disciples pray. Then Peter, Peter preaches 10 minutes, and 3,000 are saved. And I was, some of you are going to say, you get, your, you get your sermon down to 10 minutes, big boys. We're going to pray more. <laughs> you know? But, but it's, it's, it's these things happen 
because of prayer. Jeff, we're, we're talking about vacation Bible school. We're, we're in the summer, I call the summer, any month, every month's harvest month. Just a couple Sundays ago after, after Children's Church. They're not in here now. But just a couple Sundays ago, Sundays ago we had five of the, of the kids in Children's Church. Last, Sunday before last, maybe, last Sunday, that asked Jesus in their heart. And one of, one of them was, was our, my grandson, Aiden. And he come in telling Nicole and telling his family, about praying and asking Jesus into his life. So any times, the harvest is ready, okay? But a lot of times we look at the summer months and we think of vacation Bible school and we think of Canal Lake Bible Camp. And uh, they're gonna, and it's, it's true, uh, you know, six weeks from now, Jeff and Sarah will be giving us a report of, of how God has worked, of how many kids came to camp and where they were from and how many kids accepted the Lord in their lives and how many of y'all volunteered, hundreds of you that volunteered in VBS and volunteer in camp to make that happen. And the preparation, and, and, and you, if you could see uh, Karis Flake uh, over there in, that, in, in there working, and if you could see Spalding, and Jeff's, Jeff's cracking the whip at these two, and they're just working like crazy, and Sarah's behind the scenes doing all the stuff, getting it going, and they're doing plans, and they're doing lessons, and they're doing memory, and they're thinking about changing up memories to whole chapters, and then there's all this preparation for camp. But we do all that knowing we do the best job we can to prepare, but, we, but no matter, we can do all that and if, unless God shows up and unless the Holy Spirit of God shows up and does the work, it'll never amount to nothing. But when he shows up, things of eternal consequences take place and happen. There's a verse I love in Proverbs that says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. And I, I, that verse became very real to me when I was coaching because it said to me, there's no substitute for good planned practices and, and fundamentals. There's a place for that. But you do all you can prepare, you do all you can do, and you know God's in control. And I thought, man, that'll preach. That'll preach in our lives. We plan and we prepare, but we know that God, ultimately, the outcome rests with him. I got to go on quickly. He said, he said you need to, your faith, you're lacking in faith, you're lacking in prayer. And he said this discipline of fasting. This, this, this spiritual discipline there that can only, something can only be discerned spiritually. And sometimes it's, it's a matter of just getting aside and showing God and saying to God, this is more important to me than, than food. Or this is more important to me than, uh, than TV. Or this is more important to me, uh, you know, than, than this thing, activity in my life. You see, I, what I, we need, as we humble ourselves, we talk about kneeling and prayer, and that's altogether good because I believe that's a sign of, of, that we're humbling ourselves. I know some of you can't kneel. Uh, George, you can pray in a wheelchair, or we can pray standing up, or we can pray sitting down. It's not the position of our body, it's the position of our heart, Pastor. So when our heart is humbled and, and, and broken and contrite before the Lord and we cry out to him, God, there's things going on here. And God, I can't, I, there's needs that are unmet and I can't do, I, that seems like I'm powerless, but I know I'm not because you have given all the authority and power in heaven in there, Lord, to us. So God, what do I do? What do we do? And we don't have to feel helpless and we don't have to feel hopeless when dealing with those unmet needs. There's a, there's a, there was an unmet need, there was an unasked question, and there was an unexpected response. 
But I want to close with going, taking you to the Old Testament for one verse, the book of 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 28. And let me, let me set, this, set this verse up just a minute for you. Syria has attacked Israel and, and Syria has gotten, they got defeated. They attacked Israel up on the mountains. So a year, Syria goes back, they regroup, they, they get more troops. And a year later, Syria is getting ready to attack Israel again, but this time with a different strategy. Look at this. And there came a man of God and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I'll deliver this, all this great multitude into your hand and you'll know that I'm God. So the Syrians, had, had, they thought they'd got defeated because Israel's God was God on the mountains. And they said, we got it. We know their weakness. We'll attack them in the valley because their God is not the God of the valleys. And this morning, this is, this is the closing. Our God is God of the mountaintops and he's God in the valleys. He's God. And there's none other beside him. Wow. Well, I'm almost like Forrest. Daryl quoted Forrest Gump yesterday. Just give me, and in in, in Sissy, and by the way, pray for Sissy Honeycutt. Her funeral was yesterday. We miss her, a longtime member of the House of Prayer. Sit right back here. Between Ursula and Susie Kelly uh, and Sissy, they had everything pretty much covered. Do that. We, we'll miss her. Uh, pray for her, pray for her family. And um, got a funeral at two today. So uh, that is Kyle Lance's dad, uh, Anthony Lance. And uh, pray for him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and hush and uh, grab a quick bite and get a kiss from Barbie if she'll still kiss me. Honey, I met Zach in the wheelbarrow. I just want you to know. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. And, uh, and uh, Lanny Paul, I want to shake your hand, get a hug from you and your bride before you leave. Uh, I don't know what awaits you this week. Sometimes those mountaintop experiences, they're awesome. They're we see his majesty. We see his glory. But sometimes it's in the valley. We see his power. And sometimes we can go from, Dennis, we can go from a mountaintop to a valley in a, in a week. So, sometimes we can go there in a day, you know. But I want to tell you, my God, our God, is the God of the mountains. And he's the God of the valleys. Father, thank you for your word. As... Uh, as Francis preached earlier, testified to earlier, your word never changes. And we can trust and lean on and stand on your word. You love us. You love us so much you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. And when we accept him into our lives and he saves us, you've promised you'd never leave us nor forsake us. You won't leave us alone. You won't abandon us. You won't throw us in the wheelbarrow and say, okay, take off with him. But you'll be there with us. So, Lord, into, into each of these lives today and our lives, do what you want to do with your word. So that as we leave here, the signs that we've got around the property says, and you're now entering the mission field. Lord, help us to be sensitive and attentive to your voice and your leading and give you all the glory. In Christ I pray. Amen.